is living and active and, and sharper than a two-edged sword. How often we, we sit under you and your word, Lord God, and, and, and we are, are stubborn and we, in a sense, remain. It would appear unaffected. We pray that that would not be the case for us tonight. We pray that you would uh, pierce our hearts with this sharp two-edged sword. Um, we pray, Lord God, that we would hear from you and know that voice of God. And we pray that we would be molded, even tonight, even right now, this evening, molded and shaped to change our life, to go, to live evermore uh, for the glory and the honor of the Lord Jesus. Help us not just to be hearers, but doers of your word. And we pray that for the glory of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so it's, um, I wonder if you agree with this. I'm pretty sure you will agree with it. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing to observe a family that are functioning uh, in the way that a family should. Let me say that again. It's a great thing, wonderful thing, when we can observe or witness a family that's functioning, biblically, I suppose, in the way that they should. When I became a Christian, in my early 20s, I came out of a difficult situation, full of fractured relationships, and I was soon taken in by a loving Christian family. Not taken in in the sense that I was living with them, but taken in in the sense that I spent a lot of time with this Christian family. Time in their home. Time looking after their kids. And wow, was that a beautiful thing. A moving thing. See how this family, this Christian family, how they functioned. Wait for it. Their kids got on with each other. Amazing. Believe it. And they loved and obeyed their parents. Lovely thing. See, the parents, though they had been married for a very, very long time, they still, you could see, loved each other in the way that they dealt with each other, the way that they spoke to each other. You could see they love each other. Isn't it beautiful to see? The grandparents, the grandparents, grandparents, when they came around, they were treated with love. They were kind, treated with kindness. They were treated with respect. Now, it's not that they didn't have problems. Lots of problems as family. But they worked through these. They talked through. This was a family that was pulling together and pulling together in the same direction, doing that in love. I repeat to you, don't you agree? It's a wonderful thing if we can witness a family that is functioning in the way that it ought to do. Well, that may be beautiful. As beautiful as it is, imagine. What if we could witness a spiritual family acting like that, acting in the way uh, it should. What if you and I could live amongst, be a part of a church that really, truly cared, really cared for each other, really listened to each other, really looked out for one another in the church? Would that not be marvelous? Would that not be special? Well, this evening in Philippians chapter two, it's that big vision that the Apostle Paul puts before us this evening. Now, not as some unachievable, utopian, make-believe dream. No, not a bit of it. It's something that we can and should work towards as Christians at St. Peter's. That's 
the idea that we have here. So, can I ask you, please, to make sure that you've got a Philippians 2 right at the beginning of this chapter, that small section. Let's have it in front of us. Let's make sure that young people in the church can cast their eye on it as well. And let's think, first of all, let's think, note, first of all, the concern. That's the first thing, the concern. Now, uh, I promised them that I would do this tonight. So let's begin with our elder, Chris Ewart, and uh, his garage. I did promise, I did warn him, that's why he's chickened out and he sent his wife, isn't it? No, maybe. Few few years ago, uh, Chris decided that he was going to build a garage uh, to house his renovation project of a, a, a transporter or a, a camper wagon. That's what I'm trying to camper wagon. And I think it's an understatement to say that this is a large garage. It's fair to say, isn't it? I am here green with envy at Chris's garage. I love Chris's garage. It is a marvelous thing because it's a monster. It blocks the sun out of uh, half of Broughty Ferry. Well, as, as we turn into uh, Philippians chapter 2, I think it's fair to say that Paul, the apostle, his main point, like Chris's garage, Paul's main point about unity is unmissable. But isn't it interesting, if you look at the text, to see that he does not go straight there. So the the main point about unity is obvious, but look at the beginning of verse 2. Now, he does not say... He doesn't say, be of the same mind. Look at the beginning of of verse 2. What does he say? He says, look, look at that. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Is that not, do you not think that's informative there? What we're seeing is that delight can be found for you and for me, Christian friend. Delight can be found in the spiritual advance of other people. Complete my joy. In fact, think about the relationships we're dealing with there. So this is the Apostle Paul and the Philippians. What's the lesson? Delight can be found in the spiritual advance of those over whom we have some responsibility. Isn't that informative? Wait, is that not quite challenging for us? What about the Sunday school teachers in the room? What about the elders in the room? What about the parents What about the grandparents? Could we say the same thing? Are we so invested in the people under our care that genuinely we have joy, true delight when we see their spiritual advance? He says, complete my joy here. But where are we? Well, we're driving along Queen Street and Broughty Ferry. We turn up Montague Street and we come to the gas. We come to Paul's main point. So read on in verse 2 with me. What's his main point, his main concern? Do you see the language? Complete my joy by being of the, what is it, of the same mind. It depends what translation you've got, but most of them will say that, be of the same mind. What? What does that mean? What is this big concern here? Well, I suppose, first of all, let's be (laughs) clear about what he doesn't mean. Like, Paul is not, obviously not calling for the Philippians to be, you know, robots. You know, this is not a a call for, you know, a complete intellectual nor theological uniformity. You know, this call for everyone in the church to think exactly the same about every matter under the sun. It's obviously not that. 
This idea, now listen and get it, this is the idea of a unity of purpose, a unity of disposition. Do you you see it? It's a call for, yes, the church to agree on the gospel. But it's actually even bigger and better than that. It's a call also for the church of Philippi to have the same focus, to focus on the same goals, to be moving forward, moving forward together. Ah, but in harmony. Wow. In harmony, in love, moving forward as a congregation, the gospel witness, in unity. Can I just stop and ask you, what do you think of that? This call for the church to be of the same mind, unity of purpose and disposition. Come on, it's lovely, isn't it? Isn't it lovely? And I want you to notice how far-reaching it is. So would you look at the subsequent terms where he unpacks it in verse 2? Look at the first one there. The Philippians are to have, he goes on to say, the same love. I think everyone can probably immediately remember what that is if you think back to chapter 1. That's the virtue that he's been praying for. Praying will abound more and more in Philippi. So that's great, same love. But it's the next one. I love it so much. Do you see it? They are to be in, what is it, in full accord. The, the, the idea in the background is about the soul. So it's, it's almost like, you know, the English idiom, the English idea of people being soulmates. That's almost kind of in the background. That's what he's calling for in the church from the people of God in Philippi. Isn't that amazing? This is a call for the Philippians to cling to the gospel, to cling to gospel mission, but also to cling to one another as they move forwards. It's wonderful, wonderful. Now, we need to move on in here, but before we do, I think we just need to at least linger on how pertinent and relevant this is. What do I mean? Well, it's, of course it's pertinent for us to think about this at St. Peter's. I don't know what, you know, in our relationships in here, your relationships with each other, would Paul look on, say, you've completed my joy with how close we are, how harmonious we are? So, of course, I mean at St. Peter's. I actually mean more, though, at this situation in our present circumstances, COVID. What's happening? So what's happening through this pandemic is we're seeing a further pandemic in the church. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about St. Peter's, certainly talking about our denomination, certainly talking about the church in the United Kingdom. There is a pandemic of people who through this crisis pandemic of Christians pulling back from the life of the church. Christians pulling back and saying, I no longer need the church. I no longer need the people of God. The Christians hear it all the time. People say, but look, it's not like I'm falling away. It's not like I'm backsliding because look, I've got a live stream. Like I can, I can, I'm not falling away. I can, I can tune in. I can get some teaching on a Sunday here and there and these places. That's fine. I don't need the church and I don't need the people of God. But what do you see when you open the book of Philippians? What do you see when Paul says, be of the same mind, be of the same love, be soulmates in the church? What you see is that the life of the Christian necessitates being part of the church. Like, we, we can't live a life that pleases God outside of that. 
If we're going to live a life that reflects New Testament teaching, if we're going to live a life that pleases God, then we have to, yes, be here to worship God. But it's more than that. You and I have to share our lives with each other. We have to work, serve with each other. We have to walk with each other in harmony and love. So we see the concern. That's Paul's concern. Be of the same mind, brothers. Okay, second of all, let's notice, let's think about the complication. The complication. I wonder if you've heard of the Findhorn uh, community. I wonder if you've heard of the Findhorn community. I uh, don't know what it's like now, so no idea what it's like now. When I was young, a young man, the Finhorn community was kind of a group of people who wanted, up in the north of Scotland, they wanted to live a sort of alternate lifestyle from what I could make of it. I think it was, you know, the idea, let's live together, almost commune-esque maybe. You know, we'll shun material values, materialistic values. We'll grow our own produce. We'll share it together. That sort of vibe, that sort of idea. As a teenager, I kind of sort of looked on at that. I thought, oh, that's a bit intriguing. I wonder what's going on there. But I always wanted to know more. I always thought, right, look at that. It seems, what's going on there? I wanted to know, what does that look like on the ground? How does that sort of thing actually work out? Well, as Paul sets out before us this beautiful picture of a congregation in harmony together, maybe that's what we're asking, is it? Maybe that's what we just like, well, okay, that, but what does it look like on the ground? Well, praise God, because look what Paul does. He opens it up for us. He unpacks this, I think, in two ways, two directions, negatively and then positively. Let's just deal with the negative here. Can I ask you to please look at the beginning of verse 3? To see the negative side of it. Look at the, the start of verse 3. Do you notice there's two terms? Show the, the kids, if you can. Let's see the, the children. Let's see it. There's a couple of terms. Do you see them? The first one, what is it? Do nothing from, again, depending on your translation, is it rivalry some of you have got? Or do nothing from selfish ambition? Does everyone in the room, bells going off again, recognition? Do nothing from selfish ambition. Come on, do you remember that's what Paul said in chapter 1 of his opponents? Do you remember he's in prison in Rome? Remember what's happening in the church in Rome? Some were preaching Christ from what? From rivalry, from selfish ambition. Do you see what this means for us, for you, for me? If there's going to be unity, harmony at St. Peter's, we've got to divest ourselves of all selfishness. Do you see? It's, It's got to come off. We've got to get rid of it. We've got to seek or cease seeking our personal desires and wants all the time. That's the first one. Look at the second term. What is it? Conceit. Again, depends on translation. Conceit or vain conceit. It's quite an interesting one. It's taken from a very common phrase um, in the Greco-Roman world at the time. And it was a phrase. You're going to have to help me out here. Okay. It's a phrase for uh, men in particular who think too highly of themselves. Help me out. What, what would be a, an English idiom, an English equivalent? Guys who think too much of themselves. There's a lot of them. Isn't there a lot of phrases that probably shouldn't come to mind that do. Um, but what, he thinks he's the business. 
There you go. It's a safe one. Or he thinks he's the bee's knees, and he know it, right? Isn't that the sort of idea? Now, do you see the lesson, though? For us at St. Peter's, if we want unity, we have to stop thirsting for recognition. Like, we have to stop wanting to be in the limelight. We have to want a desire that we have, that horrible desire to have our voice heard. We want to be in the spot. We have to stop that. Because that kills togetherness in Jesus Christ. Now, there's medics in the room. There's a lot of medics at St. Peter's. Uh, And what they would hopefully affirm is that doctors very, very rarely prescribe medicine that isn't necessary. Okay? I would hope. Doctors very rarely prescribe medicine that isn't necessary. It is the same with our God. And so if you think about big picture Philippians, maybe you see what's happening here with these two traits. What's happening right now is we are getting a window into what will become very clear in chapter 4 with the Iodia and Syntyche that see selfish ambition and conceit that seems to have been a real problem in Philippi. Do you see, like Paul is mentioning this because it is relevant to them and because he knows it is a vicious threat and a threat to the health and the witness of the church. That's Philippi. We have to think about ourselves. Now, if I was to put it to you, if I was to ask you tonight, in your own life, for you, Christian friend, if I was to ask you, selfish ambition, (laughs) rivalry, Conceit in the life of the church, is that a problem in your life? There you go, there's a the question. I reckon most of us in the room are going to say, no, not a big problem. You know, like Andy, I've got a lot of sin going on here. There's a lot of problems going on here, but rivalry in the church and conceit and, you know, selfish ambition, these are not my big besetting sins, Andy, okay. I would say back to you, okay, but these sins concern our motives, and what do we know? We know sin hides itself very, very well in our hearts, don't we? Sin deceives us. And you know what? We can be in the life of St. Peter's, we can be like an asymptomatic COVID patient, can't we? With these things, with our motives and our sin causing real danger to other people around us and not even recognizing it ourselves. And so perhaps there should be more analyzing of our hearts tonight. I ask you, why do we so often talk ill of our brothers and sisters in Christ behind their backs? What's that? What's going on there? The root of that. Why do, you know, office bearers, why do we get really frustrated so often at the end of meetings of the church courts. Why do the rest of us, why do we have such firm ideas that we are right about the life of the church and the practice of the church and structures of the church? Why? Why? Could it be? I suggest, could it be that there's more selfish ambition than can see in our hearts than we would like to let on? So we see concern, we see a complication. 
But then we see the contrast. We contrast. So it's a bit warm in here. Thankfully not as warm as this morning. But hopefully you're, you're with me so far. So Paul has put forward this desire, this call for a united mindset in the life of the church. And then he's shown us the danger, selfish ambition. You see, but if we, if those are the things that we have to take off, they're dirty rags of rivalry and conceit, then what virtues, come on, what virtues do we have to put on, dress ourselves in? Well, if you look on, Paul goes to the positive side, and actually I think what we'll see, if you look at it, is a progression of thought in three very quick stages. There's a progression. So look at verse 3 to start with. Now, I want you to notice here the heart posture that's called for in Scripture tonight. The heart posture. Do you see in verse 3? We are to consider others, what are the words? In humility. Do you see the heart posture is that of humility? Isn't it interesting? You can see that that is the complete antithesis of what he's just talked about. Can you? Like if we're going to be harmonious in the right things, in the right way at St. Peter's, it's not just that we've got to put off selfish ambition. You and I have got to swing to the opposite extreme. In our hearts, not fake, not false. In our hearts, you and I, to pray that God would make us humble. Humble people. Yes, people who have a, an accurate view of self. We are totally dependent on God for everything. But it's more, as Christians, isn't it? This humility, we are to follow after our God. We have to follow after Christ. We have to follow after the one who is gentle, lowly, gentle, humble of heart. That's our heart posture. But it's like a fountain, a beautiful fountain here. Because that heart posture overflows, if you look at the text, into an evaluation. Look at it in verse 3. I'm going to ask you to read it, and I'm going to ask you to read it twice. So look at it. In humility, what about this? In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let's read it again. Find it. In humility, count others more significant, better than yourself. Have you ever in your life read anything more counterintuitive? Count other people more significant than yourself. Have you ever read anything that is less in tune with the thinking of our society in the 21st century? It is absolutely radical, isn't it? But you have to be very careful with it. Because this is not a license for self-pity. Self-pity kills congregations. Count yourself, count others more significant than you is not a license for us to wallow in our, our feelings. You see what it is, though? It's a call to reassess everything, all of our priorities. It's a call to place the family of faith ahead of ourselves as we consider the use of our time and our energy and our resources, the whole thing. Isn't that amazing? So we see this heart posture Humility. We see what flows out, this evaluation of other people, but then where does it lead and end? Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Where does it lead? 
Where does it lead? One word. It leads to action. Action. Yes, in this church, you and I should be always on the lookout for the needs of the other people in this church, especially those on the periphery of the congregation. And we should be caring for them. And we should be praying about those things. But it cannot end there. We actually have to live this out in the service of other people. It is quite a call, is it not? And I stand before you as the new minister, and I wonder, what will happen? Will we change? Will anything change when the benediction is sounded and we leave and we go back to to our life? Will anything change from an encounter with God's word and this call for for us to have a a, a same mind? Will anything change? Will we reevaluate our lives this week? Will we think about how to give more of our time and our energy and attention to the other people in this congregation? Do you know what? If we do this, make a promise, if we do change in response to God's word, it will be a witness. (laughs) We long to be a witness for Jesus Christ. If we change, it will be a witness. What does Jesus pray in John 17? We all know it. Does he pray, Father, I pray for those who will believe in me. Pray for St. Peter's Free Church, that they may all be one. (laughs) Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us. What's the end point? They may be one, that the world may believe that you have sent me. So we see the concern, we see the complication, we see the contrast, and then we end very briefly with the catalyst. I am an idiot. I double booked myself this week. What a stupid thing to do, right? A silly thing to do. Got the calendar all wrong, got the diary wrong, don't know how I did it, double booked, uh, double booked myself. So I was supposed to be Uh, meeting a colleague for a meeting at one point in time during the week and exactly the same point in time I was supposed to be in a different city visiting somebody in their home okay so (laughs) a foolish thing to do and I'm so annoyed with myself I was so annoyed with myself that I spent a little bit of time working out how can I do it must be must be able to do this must be able to make it work until, of course, I realized, no, nobody can transport themselves into two places at the same time. It is beyond me. I realized it is a complete impossibility. And maybe, maybe that's how some of you are responding to Paul this evening. You're thinking, oh, it sounds amazing. You know, a a church, the same love, a full accord, the same minds, beautiful. But St. Peter's, we're sinners. This is not happening. It sounds lovely, but it's beyond us. It is an impossibility. You're thinking like that. It's even crossing your mind. Then Paul would have you corrected. See, have a look at the text the last time, really. You've noticed as we've driven up to the main point we've driven past verse one in its entirety can you look there for me look at verse one just just we're closing with us just for a moment if you look at it do you notice there is a conditional clause 
Do you see how he starts? It's conditional. It's if, if. Now, lots of people want that changed in our Bibles. Lots of people want it changed in the translation. Um, because Paul's obviously not doubting what he goes on to say. It's not about doubt. So people want it rendered since, since there is encouragement with Christ and so forth. Do you see? Now, I love the fact that it's a conditional clause. Don't you? Don't you see what the Apostle Paul is doing? What he's doing, if there is, he says to you, if there is encouragement, what is he doing? He is getting you to pause and to reflect on these realities, isn't he? If there is, he's getting you to assess it, to consider, are these things that he goes on to say true? So that's how I want to end this evening. I want us just to reflect on what he says. So you ready? First question for you. Christian friend, Christian friend, is there any encouragement in Christ? And we would probably say, if we weren't many of us Presbyterians, all in unison, yes. Wouldn't we? Encouragement in Christ, yes. As we consider not only what Jesus Christ has done for us in his life and his death and his resurrection. But as we consider right now who he is to us as king, as savior, as Lord, as friend, as our great high priest, and as we consider what Jesus Christ is doing right now, I speak to you here. What is Jesus Christ doing for you? Right now, Jesus Christ intercedes before the Father, praying for his people, praying for you. Is there any encouragement in Christ, we say? Yes, we say yes. Now, that's the first one. Jump to the third one. There's only three. Jump to the third one. So I ask you, is there any participation in the Holy Spirit? And you would again cry out, would you not? Yes, there's participation in the Holy Spirit. I mean, you think about it. Through the Holy Spirit this evening, we are bound up together. Isn't that a marvelous thing? You look around to the Christians. We are part of something, enjoying fellowship in the Holy Spirit together. And that's marvelous. But isn't it more? It's our participation in the Holy Spirit. Yes, through the Holy Spirit, we are bound up in the deepest imaginable fellowship with the Lord God Almighty himself. You tonight, through the Holy Spirit, know fellowship, closeness, intimacy with the very creator God. Is there any participation with the Holy Spirit? Yes, there is. But then we get to the middle one. This is it, the last one. Look at the middle one. How many words have been written about this? Do you see, is there any comfort from love? Do you see the issue at hand, the problem that people write about and talk about? Whose love? Is it any comfort from love? Is it Paul's love for the Philippians? Is it the Philippians' love for each other? No, you know it, don't you? Sitting, as that does, between the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the love of God the Father that is in view. So the last question is, Christian friend, is there any comfort in God the Father's love for you? And yes, you know, surely there is. A love that would elect us. How mysterious. A love that would choose us. A love that would save us. A love that expresses itself here in affection and sympathy. A love for you that would send his only begotten son. 
And as you reflect on these beautiful realities, I hope sincerely you see what Paul's up to. Hopefully you see the logic. What's he doing? He's showing you that this unity is possible as St. Peter's with the gospel. Do you see why? It is the genuine, genuine fellowship that we enjoy with our triune God that will be the springboard to you and I loving each other better at St. Peter's. It is the genuine fellowship we enjoy with our triune God that can see us launch into greater service and greater love for each other. So if you're a Christian, first, the Christian, you see what you do. We leave, we go into our life, we go into our week ahead, and what do we do but we dive deeper into our relationship with God. If we want this place to be united around the gospel, truly harmonious, we look to God, we pursue Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pursue our God in word and prayer. And then, end. To the person who isn't a Christian in here, or the person who isn't a Christian who's watching online, I can say, that I know something about you. I know that you long for that sense of true family, true unity, true community. I can see you long for it because it is part of who we are as humans. What Paul would have you know from Philippians is what he says in verse 1. That is only truly possible, two words, in Christ, in Christ. Tonight you come to Jesus Christ. He is the one who is gentle. He is humble of heart. And as all the believers would affirm in here, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Friends, let's bow before our God and let's pray. Lord, at the end of our worship service, we are to express a thanks to you for your words. But there is a huge element of us that wants to fall before you to tear our robes, to be dust on our heads and express contrition for the way in which we have shaped our lives to serve ourselves that we so rarely spend time considering those on the periphery of our church, how we can care for them, those in our church who have needs. And so we ask, Lord, for a miracle of your grace that you would change us to give us same mind, same love, to make us a full accord, that you might look on at St. Peter's, that you might use us to be a witness in Dundee, and that we might serve each other ultimately, that we might serve you. And we pray these things, asking for your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to conclude uh, singing to God's praise, and we're going to sing um, the hymn, His Mercy is More. What love could remember no wrongs we have done, omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their son, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. So friends, if you're able, let's stand and worship the Lord our Amen.